Hello and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I'm Kate Fisher and I'm your host. I've written this podcast to give blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. It creates a space for recipients and the people who love them to tell their stories of survival. It documents the remarkable lives they go on to live, the contributions they make to their communities and the joy they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you could become a part of this story. Milkshakes for Mali is the name of the Lifeblood team of donors who were inspired to donate plasma and other blood products after hearing the story of our amazing five-year-old daughter Mali, who has seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. For her, plasma infusion is both life-preserving and when she relapses, it is life-saving. To hear Mali's story, please go back to episode one in your podcast feed. And just a note here to remind listeners that this podcast documents recipients and their loved ones' experiences as they remember them. It is not intended to give medical advice in any way, and I am not a doctor. I am unable to fact-check the medical accuracy of these stories, and that is not the focus of this podcast anyway. What I can be sure of is that without the generosity of blood donors, many of our guests and the people who they love would no longer be alive. Today's guest is Joel Mason who four years ago survived a shark attack while surfing Ninambaka heads in northern New South Wales. He was enjoying an early morning surf on a break that the locals call the bar when he was attacked. Joel was in the water with three other surfers at the time and he was unlucky to be the one who was bitten. He was, however, very lucky that they were able to take him ashore for urgent treatment. Luckily for Joel, he was met on the rocks of the break wall by a long-standing member of the Nambucca Head Surf Lifesaving Club, who applied a tourniquet, which was the first step in saving Joel's life. The second was getting him an urgent blood transfusion. Joel needed to be airlifted to Newcastle's John Hunter Hospital and would not have survived the time it took him to get there had there not been blood available for him to have a transfusion at the scene before being airlifted for urgent surgery on his leg. Joel is a husband, a father of three, and grew up as an Aussie kid with a surfboard under his arm from the age of five. And it is our pleasure to welcome him to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. So Joel, welcome to the show. I see that you've just celebrated a significant birthday. So happy birthday from all of us here at the podcast. Um, When you were bitten by a shark in 2018, did you have moments where you wondered if you'd be seeing any more birthdays? Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, it was a it was a pretty crazy day. Uh, beautiful Sunday morning, and uh, just the usual thing I did. I had some spare, had a spare hour, so um, I jumped in my car and I had my car packed with a few different boards, and we got got up to the uh, the V wall, and it was it wasn't awesome, but it was such a beautiful day, and um, yeah, I went out by myself and. I was just sitting watching a whole heap of pot of dolphins and enjoying the morning, looking down towards Scott's head, and mm-hmm. it just happened. And you know, it just—it's um, yeah. You definitely when something happens, and I didn't know what had happened at the start. I, I mm-hmm. kind of like 
I got a big bump and, and that was kind of when I, I actually went to reset and go back in and back out the channel. But when I couldn't stand up and I couldn't move my leg, I knew something was wrong and I saw a trickle of blood and that was it. So, wow. so you didn't you know, realise yeah. what had happened? Oh, I just saw this torpedo come and that was about, that was about it. So um, I had no warning. People I spoke to um, after on the V wall, they, they said that they saw it and I was just too far away for them to even call out or give wow. me any kind of warning. So um, yeah, it was at that time, I think um, survival kicked in and, you know, I've got a background growing up on the Central Coast as a professional lifeguard and all the training right. that I've done through the through the decade I worked not only here in Australia but overseas as well as a lifeguard and scrum up surfing. And it really, I think it prepared me for that day um, and it really got me, yeah, I just got into the zone and I just knew I had to get across onto the break wall and the tide was coming in and it was a fairly heavy thing but, I was probably focused more on that than thinking and having flashes of going, oh, am I going to, you know, am I not going to make it? What's going to yeah. happen? Or anything like yeah. that. That kind of more came on throughout the treatment side of things and then right. on the flight the flight to Newcastle and, and then, you know, getting unloaded out of the helicopter. Um, but it really, really hit home um, when I was laying, looking at the fluorescent lights in, in ED, just thinking, you know, like, I, I know, I think I'm, I know I'm alive, I'm here, I'm in the mm -hmm. best place, but I was just yelling out, just save my leg, just save my yeah. leg. So mm -hmm. It was a, um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of, actually, it was kind of a funny thing because I was looking straight up at these lights and all of a sudden I saw my um, sister-in-law, who they live in Newcastle, and they were able to get to the hospital pretty quick and, she had these weird looking glasses and I swear I saw about five or six of her looking at yeah, me. Yeah, wow. I was kind of freaking out as well. And then I was just going, ah. So yeah. We, we I a, hope they had you on some pretty heavy duty pain medication by that stage, given that you just had a shark take a piece out of your yeah. leg. Um, so yeah. I've seen from the uh, news reports that I have read um, that there was another surfer bitten by a shark in the same spot 17 years before your, um, you were bitten. How many times do you think you've surfed at that same spot? Um, you know, you said you've grown up surfing your whole life. So there's so many opportunities that this could have happened. Um, because with and based on that probability, you have been incredibly lucky to have never been bitten by a shark before. Do you think there was anything different about that morning or the fact that there was other people out there that you were the one that got bitten? Or do you just feel lucky there was other people there that could help you? um yeah it's it's one of those things you know like where when well, this is debatable yet we're, we're in their domain you know I, I always think you like you got more chances more people die of being uh hit on the head by coconuts or bit by an ant or yeah you know. absolutely um so you know i think the chances i, I read somewhere today it was um it was one in in 11.5 million wow you know chances that you've got of being attacked by a shark and you know mm. i've spent a lot of times over the years throughout the world paddling um surfing swimming you know diving um the the thing about that day was there's a lot of activity there was and i because i was in such a hurry kind of to get out and enjoy the morning i didn't mm -hmm. really check things before that i'd check and and that's probably one of the things that that's beat, that beats me up that you know like 
the blame on why and the questioning why and here and there and you know it's um it's one of those things that yeah I you know if you look at the the statistics now over the last you know years like 2020 20 was was one of the biggest years for shark attacks on record so right. and most of them that's for fatalities and most of them have been on the the, the uh, north coast where I live right. so prior to that you know like you'd see a couple and I was actually reflecting on it with a friend and he said to me do you remember the helicopter signaled us out at the same spot about six weeks earlier and I said yeah okay because it was part of the DPI trial um, where they had helicopters um, mm-hmm. they've now now um, ceased to operate the helicopters because it's not cost effective but they're using drones and different uh, technologies, smart drum lines along the coast. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's Department of Primary think, Industries, is it? The that's DPI? The Department of, uh, New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, and they've yeah. just started. There was a five-year trial that was um, that was run along the coast, especially the north coast, um, and they tried different uh, mechanisms of, um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, what are they? Their, their management management um techniques to try try and um either detect the sharks and and it's all um it's all shark friendly you know i think mm-hmm. over the whole time there was probably five sharks killed out of a thousand or so tags so yeah um but still, and you've got to wonder too i wonder if that's a bit of a lifestyle change with covid lockdowns and people moving to coastal areas because they can work more remotely and all of those types of things you know there might have been an increase in you know incidents but was there just an increase of more people being in the water as well yeah that's right you know, like how do you I, measure I, that you, you you can't you know like like aussie lifestyle is around the beach and you know like what 90 percent of the strand population live on the coast so yeah. Um, more more people in the water. Um, now there's debate out there about um, commercial fishing and the fact that they've um, reduced the number of uh, number of permits there to actually take different kind of sharks, which we uh, used to have on our plates as fish and chips, the old flake. And yeah. Um, so yeah, th- there's all those things, but you just question it's you know it's one of those freak accidents that are happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just so lucky to, to be here and be able to, you know, put my kids to bed every night yeah, and hug absolutely. my wife and celebrate my birthdays, you know, like, um, yeah. with my friends and family and, and don't try not to, uh, to sweat the small things and just enjoy everything that we do. And, yeah. you know, we, and doesn't it bring it into do. focus? I've actually, yeah, I've got that as a question later in the podcast, but we'll just go straight into it now is that you know, having a child with a potential potentially fatal chronic illness like Marley has got has just completely changed our lives in terms of, you know, our priorities, what we feel like is important in our lives, um, the things that we might have worried about before she got sick, just, you know, just don't even rate a mention now. And I assume it would be very similar for you after having an experience like that and just how beautiful having the simplest pleasures with your family are now. Yeah, you know, like um, especially in the last two years with with lockdown, it's been, um, you know, we've been very very lucky here on the on the north coast to be able mm-hmm. to uh, still go to the beach and you know we spend a lot of our time in the ocean. It's I'm so grateful that I'm able to, you know, teach my kids the skills that I've learned and um, 
and show them the things that, that I love to do in and around yep. the ocean, um, mm-hmm. you know, and be there to see everything, you know, like I was able to, I was able to go to my first, the kids' first days at school, you know, yeah. for, for my oldest boy and my middle girl, you know, um, and, and that's one of the things that I wouldn't get to do if, if it wasn't for people donating blood and blood Absolutely. products. Absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, like the, the amount of, um, people that donate regularly is amazing, but we always need those extra people donating and then the new people, Mm -hmm. um, to donate. It's, it's amazing, um, how you can do something, um, as powerful as donating blood, which can then be split and save so many lives. And the fact now that you get a text message to say that your blood and your plasma have been used is yeah. an amazing thing, and and it's such a such a um, empowering thing as well to say. Listen, you know, I, I might not be able to be the doctor or the yeah. the person that gave first aid or the person that you know was at, was able to support that person directly in hospital, the nurses mm-hmm. or the physios or someone, but my actual body products of me producing the blood and donating it and taking my time out of my day to go and donate those products mm-hmm. to be able to then get a text to say, listen, it's actually been used and I can actually, yes, it's there mm-hmm. is, is an amazing thing. And, and that, that don't, you know, they, people don't get, you know, the, in this day and age, people expect for everything oh, I need to be paid for that or do that. No, yeah, absolutely. they do it out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah. You know, they know they're doing something good. It's a small thing. And there really is only a small percentage of the population that can actually donate mm-hmm. and are actually meet the guidelines, whether it's, um, you know, because of your health or because of you've been like a mad cow in, in yeah, the UK yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. So there's strict guidelines around who can actually donate and it's a real small percentage of the population, but there's plenty of people out there that, um, you know, when they hear stories like Marley's story, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I've heard and I've read about, it's, it's kind of when you see that and you can get something to say, yes, listen, we've helped out somebody in that or, or you mm-hmm. know, it's a cancer patient that's needed it or it's someone yeah. that's had an accident like myself, you know, that's, that's something that's really empowering and mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, it, it's the register for lifeblood is, is such an easy thing to do. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And one yeah. of the things that we've noticed too, in telling Marley's story is that some people think that they can't donate, but they actually can. And those guidelines have changed over the years as well. So we always recommend yeah. people to jump on the lifeblood website and have a look, um, because the guidelines are quite clear there about whether you can or can't donate. So, um one of the things that we also love telling people um and has just been so uplifting for us as a family has been that Marley has a condition that has no cure we can treat it and we can make her life more comfortable and we can hope for times where you know she is quite stable and she is at the moment we're living a beautiful life with her right now but we don't know whether it will be six minutes six years six months until that changes and we go back to where we were before um so no amount of you know medical scientific knowledge her case has been sent all over the world you know samples of her cerebral spinal fluid went to philadelphia some went to berlin it's been everywhere and no one can work out exactly what to do with her but it's australian's kindness and compassion and just doing something to help a mate that they don't know in donating their plasma is what's kept her alive it's kept you know a little sister with her brothers it's kept a daughter with her parents and 
you know, we went and had her interview this morning for prep for her to be able to start school next year. You know, she'll be doing it two hours a day, four days a week. It's only a really small amount of time. But, you know, the fact that she's going to get to put that school uniform on and have that social inclusion like other kids her own age is just absolute bloody magic. And it's not something we thought we were ever going to do. And it's plasma donors that have given her that opportunity. And without them, she wouldn't still be here. So, you know, it's just it's just incredible. Um, so what do you remember about that first blood transfusion that you had? So you actually had to have blood on the scene, is that correct, before you were airlifted to Newcastle? Yeah, so um, through, through the whole process, it, it's like it's worse. It's a really small community. So um, the, when I was laying on the bottom of the uh, break wall, mm-hmm. uh, there was two... Two bystanders, actually, Paul Graham, who's a local guy, he actually was on top of what they call Wello Rock, actually watching me surf with his girlfriend, and right. um, and he ran to the scene. So he's come to the scene, and he's grabbed two um, people that were on a stopover on the way to Brisbane to see their family. Right. Uh, Luke, yeah, Luke and Cat, and. Um, Cat was admiring the dolphins. She's a pommy, and they stopped to admire the dolphins. And then they've got pulled into this mass incident, you know. Um, and without those two people and the well, without the four of them, mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't be here. And that blood yeah. transfusion wouldn't have even happened. But then for them to get me from there up, it was the local fires that got me out. Wow. So, which are my like one of them's one of my really good mates, you know, like my brother-in-law's best mate. So mm-hmm. I knew him and when he's, you know, he was like, oh no. So by the time they called, when they called the helicopter and they called the ambo, they said, don't bother coming if you don't have blood. So they had blood. It was just, everything fell into place. They brought it with them. They give me a transfusion in the back of an ambulance um, on the V-wall. We were lucky that the council wow. had just, the council had just um, they had just done a big renovation of the and um, of the of the V wall and that had and they were able to drive the ambulance right up to where I was. So mm. they made a makeshift um, intensive care in the back of the ambulance and give yep. me a transfusion um, and stabilise me before they were able to um, to move me. They then landed. They landed the chopper. Um, and set me up and at that stage my wife I was just about to fly out of there and she only just got there so um she had to actually go in the car the poor darling all the way down to the hospital so um that's just one of those things but yeah we had to stop also um on the way to uh Newcastle we had to stop at Port Macquarie to get more blood so then we had a police they had a police escort escorting from the hospital with the blood products straight to the airport. They were able to refuel, get more blood, and then do that while we're on the helicopter down into Newcastle. So um, without, you know, I think I had something like 30, I would have, I had 18, 18 units of blood. So there's about 200 mils in a unit. Yeah, uh, wow. So between that and a litre and a half of plasma, 
that's what kept me alive. That's so. such, and I mean, that's so many donations. And I was just thinking, imagine being one of the people that had donated that blood, how much they would love to know the journey that that bag of blood went on. Like, oh. it's just incredible to think that that was able to save yeah. your life. And, you know, I grew up a small town country girl, so I understand that sense of community and knowing every second person that was, you know, in your story. And what really strikes me about that is you had so many points in that story where you're so lucky, you know, not so lucky oh. being bitten by a shark, but the fact oh. that the council had just done up the road, that there was people there watching at the time, there was someone experienced there, that that blood was available in Port Macquarie because, you know, it wouldn't always be yeah. available in those volumes in a place like yeah. that. Just phenomenal. Oh, no. So it's, you know, it's, as I say, we, we just, we thank our lucky stars that every, yeah. everything on that day came together, you know, like from, you know, just from the people being there, from, you know, the ambulance being, the ambulance had just finished dropping a patient at the hospital at Maxfield and could shoot up. And the fact both the ambulances, we only have at best two ambulances in the mm. whole valley, yeah. were able to get to the scene mm -hmm. as quick as they did. And we're able to stabilise me. So, um, you know, it's always the quick thinking about um, how, like, my loss of blood, we thought, well, they thought originally was from the top of my leg. Um, right. And I, I had seven an artery behind behind my knee. Oh, um, wow. But my popliteal artery was actually intact. It was one of the lower limb ones that was releasing all the blood. So once they found that and they tourniqueted my leg, I was I was – well, I wasn't in a good way, but mm -hmm. you know, like I still, and to be like, it's just a miracle for, for one to have the people and have the products and the blood and all that to be alive. Mm. And the other thing is now from there is that I, I have a functioning leg. Yeah. Wow. So that was one of the questions I was going to ask you that, you know, I could see from the news reports that you still have your leg, but how much rehab, have you had to do and you know is it fully functioning or are you living with a disability after your injury um well I don't class myself as disabled mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't you know I have I have a functioning leg it's a yep. lifelong project yep um that you know I have I have lymphedema I have mm -hmm. different parts but I, I have you know, the way that the surgeons put me back together, the way that I worked my absolute butt off to rehab mm -hmm. um, and just the team I've had around me, you know, the, the, the physios, mm -hmm. the psychologists, the... Um, How bloody know, lucky the, are we to live in Australia? So many of the conversations oh. that I've had with people... Um, you know, you just talk about how lucky we are to be able to access healthcare the way that we do in this country. And, you know, particularly yeah. if we were living in the US, you have to pay for your blood product there for particular yeah. things. And it's just not financially possible for so many people to do that. So, yeah, we've certainly felt very lucky that if you have to have a sick kid, this is a pretty incredible country to have a sick kid in. Yeah. And, the, you know, the hospital system and everyone's there, like, Mm. We'll bag out the public hospital system, but we can't fold it, you know. No. John Hunt Hospital, where I went, and the ambulance boys and all that, you know, like mm -hmm. they they they're all um, government employees, and it's amazing, like yeah, yeah, you know, the, the care that I got from the ambulance guys right through 
was so professional. It's so supportive. It's still super supportive today. Um, you know, I still have contact with the guys at John Hunter, especially the trauma unit there. Like, they're amazing. And, mm. and if it, there's never anything that is an issue. I've no. been back, back down there, you know, for, um, you know, to have appointments with the different surgeons that I think there was about, oh, I think there was four or five different, you know, high-end surgeons that were just mm-hmm. on, they're on call, you know, mm. left their families to come to the aid of, of a stranger. Yeah. You know, they do it and they're amazing people, you know, and they're so humble. Mm. Um, they don't want any recognition or any credit no. for it. And they, they are just, you know, they are amazing. And, and mm. it, it, you know, you get, you get so, um, you get overwhelmed talking about it, but they are, you know, so mm. they're just such incredible people. Yeah. And, and we're lucky, you know, and every day my, my, you know, my kids and my wife were thankful and, and, you know, we really reflect on, on how good they've been and the support mm-hmm. they give us. And yeah. Yeah. It's a. We had a situation with Marley's last airlift before we relocated. So we were living in Canberra and we now live on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And um, we've been here about 12 months. The reason that we moved was it was deemed that it wasn't safe for Marley not to have a local paediatric intensive care unit. And believe it or not, Canberra doesn't have one. So we kept getting Whoa. airlifted. Yeah, it's a surprise. You don't. It's the kind of thing you don't know until you need it, and you never expect to regularly need a PICU for your child. Um, so we kept getting airlifted to Sydney every time. They couldn't manage her in Canberra, and when that was four times in eleven months, we called it and said, "This is too much." You know, Marley and I ended up pretty much just living in hospital in Sydney, and Jeff and our mm. two older boys were back in Canberra. And you don't want your family separated when you're going through things like that. Um, but the last airlift that we did, they sent a chopper at very short notice to Marley. She went into a status epilepticus seizure. Um, her record seizure length is 39 hours for the longest seizure that she's had. And this one had only gone for a couple of hours, but they can become fatal very, very quickly. Um, and they sent an ICU, um, and chopper from the Sydney Children's Hospital and they couldn't land it in Canberra because the fog was so thick so they got it there with the team in it and then couldn't get it on the ground so they had to send that team back to Sydney and put them in a road ambulance to then drive to us and so it was you know a good five hours between the time they decided she needed an airlift to the time that we got somebody bedside and then it took them another good hour and a half to stabilize her enough and they had to send then a chopper was able to get off the ground while we were waiting for the chopper once she was stable like I hadn't slept for probably 48 hours at this point and I knew I wasn't getting any sleep anytime soon going into a PICU environment and I just said have we got 10 minutes can I just go for a quick walk and I said to the two people that were looking after it what are your coffee orders and their jaws nearly hit the floor and I said look I need coffee you guys have just sat in an you know done a helicopter flight and then a road transfer and you're looking after my kid and we're going to have to do this again. I'm getting coffee. You guys need coffee too. And I think it's just those little human moments that really stay with you and remembering exactly as you said, that all those people have just left their families to come and look after your family and everyone's just doing the best that they can with the resources that they've got. So that's something that we will never, ever forget. And we've stayed in contact with lots of those people as well. Um, so you were saying before that you are back in the water with your kids. Have you ever surfed at that same spot again? Um, 
to the disgust of my wife, yes, but it's <laughs> the, the rule. Listen, the rule is, I I'm lucky enough to um, have a jet ski, right? Um, so I, I only surf at the room mouth. It's listen, I'm a goofy footer. If people understand what a goofy footer is, it's right foot forward. So that's my injured leg. So I've right. had to retrain. I've had to retrain myself to be able to surf again. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's hit and miss, mm-hmm. uh, whether I can, you know, get my foot through. Sometimes I feel like I'm a learner and fall off, but you know, yeah. it's getting better. Yeah. Um, you get that muscle memory back. And um, it's one thing we've got to work on. Um, and I will always be working on it is the dorsiflexion in my foot. I've had so, um, so much scar tissue and reconstruction in my ankle as well. Right. Um, that that's something that we we're working on, but yeah, I I surf the spot. It's one of my favourite spots in the world, um, and I'm lucky that I've got a jet ski. So I've got um, one of my best mates. He um, he comes out with me, so we just take it in turns, and it's uh, it's you know I sit on the back of the ski and jump off when there's a wave, and yeah, I'm um, pretty much ride the wave, and then he we've got an art where we just I just like once we finish, we just lay down or fall off and pick yeah. each other up and we're back at the back. So, yeah. So it's interesting because if you were, you know, playing tennis or playing golf or something, you can understand just going, how about you don't ever do that again? And I didn't get the surfing thing until we moved to the Sunshine Coast. And it's like a religion up here. Like people need to get in their morning surf before they can face the day. And I just, I had never lived on the coast until we lived up here. And I probably understand that a little bit more now. Um, How important do you think getting back in the water has been to maintaining your mental health after having an experience like this? Yeah, the, um, you know, I grew up, grew up in a small coastal town, you know, in New South Wales, Govigabana, and um, I spent so much of my life, whether it was surf life saving or um, surfing or paddling. And, um, you know, from a little kid, I was thrown in the rock pool in the corner and it's, you know, it's part of the Aussie culture and Aussie yeah. lifestyle. And it's, it's part of everything that we do is revolved around the ocean. Like my wife and my kids, they, we love the beach and mm-hmm. and we go in um, and, you know, I it's it's got a real healing effect, the ocean, you know, it's a, it's a time where, you know, if I'm going for a surf, I can, I can just forget about the, the little things that mm-hmm. are annoying us or the things that we've got to do. And it just gets that refreshing, mm-hmm. you know, feel um, back in it. It's the, um, and the salt water, you know, like it's really cool. And my wife goes, we got to go for a salty swim. Let's go. Yeah. Like, we've got a, we got, we've got a pool out the back that the kids love to swim in, but you know, it's always, let's go for a salty swim or mm-hmm. let's go, let's go to the lagoon or let's just go and, you know, um, just hang out at the beach, take the dog for a run. And just, yeah. if we're not swimming, it's, it's just getting that fresh air mm-hmm. and, you know, that saltiness in us and in our skin. And it really, it does have that healing factor um, around it. And I believe in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, you, you never go in the ocean and have a bad time, do you? Yeah. You know? like, yeah unless like you get bitten by a shark. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a bit that's a freak accident you know (laughs) and it's it it is like i know for my mental health um and for others around us if we're spending time in the ocean um it's it's a great thing Mm -hmm. you know um and 
I probably don't get in the ocean as much as I'd like to anymore. But yeah, um, you know, it's we're, it's busy. Three kids is busy. You yeah, know, I, I work full time. My wife works as well. Um, and you know, just life. Life is busy now. It's yeah, twenty four seven world, and yeah, you know, you don't get away from it. You know, you know that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, with the 24-7 world, I was thinking before when you were talking about getting out on the water, how rare it is that we totally disconnect from technology and you feel like you're constantly on call, you've got your phone in your hand the whole time, you're always reachable and you're always consuming content of some kind. But if you're out in the ocean on a surfboard, you haven't got your phone in your hand, you actually just get to go and focus on something completely different for a little while and that must be a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And it, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, what craft you're riding. Like I've, I've grown up riding all sorts of things and, yeah. you know, the latest thing is learning to, to ride one of those foil boards. So yeah, right. that's, been one of, that's been one of my huge uh, passions to do. And it, it wasn't until actually um, I went to Hawaii in 2019 about, uh, what was it about, uh, nine months? Nine or ten months after I got attacked, I was, I was, I actually purchased one and brought one back, and we started into that too. So um, that's just something. It's a new, it's a new thing that I would have never got to do and never got to try um, if if it wasn't for everything coming together and those beautiful people donating all those products. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So to finish us off on a nice note, um, your LinkedIn page, you self-describe yourself as an experienced and inspirational educator, a family man, a lover of all things in and around the ocean, a blood donation promoter and a shark attack survivor. Um, What are the things that you are the most proud of achieving since you had your shark attack? Uh, I I think is one of the you know one of the proudest things is still uh, uh it's probably this uh, the support that my wife's given me has been the best thing that's yeah. happened she's like and, and the family it's it's just being being able to be a dad mm-hmm. and try and be the best dad i can being the best husband that i can yeah um you know i and you know just trying to help as many people um, as I can as well and being able to promote blood and I actually went on my second anniversary last year on the 9th of December I I went and um, put myself forward to donate blood for the first time wow Um, I actually yeah so it's actually a this a week before I got attacked I actually had filled in to be an organ donor and wow yeah that was that was one thing you know a, fr- a friend of ours um a colleague of mine that I work with and a, f- a good friend of my wife's lost her um brother and they lost their son in a, a horrible accident since then mm. um they they promoted donate life so I've always known yeah, about right. that but I never really got around to it and then I finally got my card and actually the last Instagram and Facebook post I did before I got attacked was of the card <laughs> you know so i'm like well well wouldn't that have been such wouldn't a thing? it <laughs> wouldn't it you know like okay yeah he's got a donation card and then he's been a killed by a shark you know like wow. we can donate his organs and do whatever but 
you know, that that's the best thing and the most proud thing is being being able to give back to people. And yeah, you know, it's been a hard road and, and there's been ups and downs, but of course, you know, being able to be linked in with people um and having constant um you know being linked in with people like from the bike club being still linked in with people that have helped me along the way mm-hmm. um you know and and people say to me oh you're an inspiration but you know it's i'm just trying to be the best person that i can and do the best yeah. be the best dad be the best husband mm-hmm. you know be be a, be a really good friend if one of my friends needs needs me to be there for him you know yeah and, and just just um just enjoy it and try and try and do it with a positive attitude and have a smile on my face. You know, we don't, you, you, you you're always going to have those hard days. Of course. We're all human. Yeah. But if you can have that positivity around you and be doing good things, mm-hmm. hopefully then it'll draw other people to be doing good things. You know, as a, I, I work as a, um, as a career advisor in a high school and right. My days are spent trying to um, support and give information to high school kids mm-hmm. to try and get them on their new life journey, you know, and yeah. to be able to set goals and to be able to get them to do things. And, and one of the things, um, well, COVID has ruined it, but I, I, we we have been trying to um, to get kids to go and donate. So uh, awesome. hopefully, hopefully next year what it'll be is that we, we take a bus up to Coffs Harbour where they've got the specialised um, blood donation centre up there. Um, yeah. And we're able to encourage people to go and school kids to start their donations. Um, yeah, well, let's try. Them. And for the second season, so we'll record a second season of this podcast next year. And if we can get it together, let's record an episode from doing yeah. that if we can. Yeah, That'd cool. be an amazing be awesome. way. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All yeah. right, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I know you don't feel like an inspiration, but I really hope that your story inspires people to go and donate, particularly if they haven't done it before, um, especially from those smaller um, country centres and country towns, just so that they know that they've got that blood product available because um, you just never know when there's going to be an accident like yours. And, yeah, we just really appreciate you being on the show so much and thank you so much for what you do. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. And um, I hope that, uh, you know, my story can inspire people um, just like Marley's story can inspire yeah. people for people to go and donate. Um, and it's as easy as jumping, as I said, jumping on the Life Club website. And if you can't get on it, you don't get the answer you want, try again, ring them. They can yep. always fit you in. I'm going to return uh, in a month's time and I'm going to try and get in there and donate blood again. And um, yeah. so... That'll be, yeah, that'll be another day. It's, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I always got the support of my family and I just want to, um, I want to take the time to thank my wife. She's been the biggest rock through this whole thing. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't for her support uh, and keeping this family together, it's, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to do the, the, the things that we do together. We love it. And uh, thanks yeah. so much, Kate and your family and, Hopefully one day we can sit down and we can have a coffee together. Yeah, uh, I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, Marley would love to meet you as well. So it would be lovely to get you guys together to see, you know, exactly what Australian blood donors have been able to do. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you so much, Joel. We really appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks a lot, Kate.
When we were mapping the guests for the first season of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, I flippantly said to my husband, we need a shark attack victim. And when we did some research, we found that Joel was clearly the best guest, but he took some finding. And I'm so grateful that we managed to find him. And I'm so grateful for him telling his story so openly today. What struck me so much about the interview was how incredibly humbling a life-threatening experience can be and how life can change in just an instant. And I think it's fair to assume that none of us wake up in the morning thinking that we or someone that we love may be reliant on blood donors to save their lives that day. And we really hope that this podcast can change that. And on that note, a shout out to all the blood donors on the north coast of New South Wales. Um, I hope that some of you that are listening are wondering if it was you and your blood that was rushed to that chopper that day to save Joel's life um, and to give him the gift of continuing to be a husband and a father, an educator and a volunteer in his local community. And we, especially at the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, would like to thank Joel for his incredible work in blood donation advocacy. Um, And we have no doubt that him telling his story has inspired some of the plasma donations that have kept our daughter alive. So thank you so much, Joel. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their story and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was shark attack survivor, Joel Mason. Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au. And we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. And join our community of blood donors and recipients on the Milkshakes for Mali Facebook page, where you will also find additional content on the guests that we profile each week. And as we do every week, we'll leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my prayers,